Welcome to another fantastic episode of the Fantastic Mr. Podcast. In this one, we talk about some of our favorite film techniques and how cinematographers use the camera in some of our favorite movies. I'm Jake, and I'm here with Zach and Justin. Say hey, guys. Yo. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> I like, I like the intro. The, the intro is awesome, by the way. I know. It's a little something we're trying. Let us know if you like it, guys. I'm going to leave the dent, 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 dent part in there. Oh, Jesus. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> film technique, specifically camera technique. Sometimes you just watch a film, and for whatever reason, how they use the camera jumps out. Um, at least it does to me. What about you guys? Here's the thing is I do notice that kind of stuff, but it's, I do this weird thing where I listen to the dialogue a lot and in my head, I'm writing a script, like I'm almost transcribing it. So that's kind of what I've, and the music, I focus on the music. Now there are things that do jump out to me. Like, um, you know, I've mentioned Wes Anderson on this podcast before. Um, and the way he uses a camera is uh, like, I love it because he doesn't do a lot of like handheld stuff. He, all of his stuff is mostly on a tripod, you know? So whenever, um, whenever we get like a pan, it's, it's very broad. You can, you totally notice it. And it's always like, it seems like it's always, almost always like from one side of, you know, um, a setting to another you know what i mean like it's a huge pan or we get these giant zooms from wes anderson i've noticed is like someone could like turn and look at the camera from a distance and then we zoom all the way into them you know um so with like wes anderson that's his his cinematography is very very um specific very very like i don't know how to explain it um noticeable for sure so yeah it it is his style almost gives a sense of just like a almost like a fairy tale aspect to it. Like everything is just a little bit more say larger than life. Everything's just a little more fantastical, a little more airy, a little bit more just like I think we've mentioned before, it's almost like a, a pop up book on yeah. film. Well for me it's like it's like watching a painting. Oh you know? okay. Um, like especially with this most recent movie, uh, the French Dispatch, there's a scene where um, like there's a huge brawl in a room, but instead of everybody fighting, he has them all like in fight poses, you know, but they're standing still, and he's like he's like scanning the room, and it's Almost really like cool. A freeze frame, yes, like a freeze frame, except for it's not the camera freezing; it's the people. And they're all just standing there like they might be standing with like holding up, like getting ready to punch somebody with their mouth wide open or something like that. It's, it was it was really cool. Like to me, it's like watching a painting, watching artwork happen in front Did of you. Did you say that director uses in some shots, shots come across as symmetrical? Yeah. Maybe that's a different. Oh, yeah. Director. No, no, no. Wes Anderson is all about symmetry. Like, symmetry. Yes. What's the importance of that? I mean, what's the stylistic I don't think there's a reason for that. I think it's just his brain, you know, like it's just the way I don't know. Like, I mean, it's cool um, because like he takes the rule of thirds to the extreme. You know what I mean? So there's no there's no um, 
experimenting like with different types of like his experimental movie is doing everything like symmetrical you know because like with with normal movies yeah we might follow the rule of thirds but it's a little off you know what i mean with wes anderson it's not like it's perfect it's almost like like if you were to snap a picture of it it would you could hang it on your wall as a as a poster or a painting or whatever and it would look like very symmetrical it looks great every like frame of his movies could be worthy of paint putting up on your wall sounds like. and, and yeah and it, I, I would totally do that you know that remember that project i had to do zach that i asked you to help me with we had to go to that store remember no we went to the grocery <laughs> store and i took a picture of you getting into the, the fridges i do That's, not remember that it must that have been what happened to me did you drug me or something <laughs> i guess <laughs> i don't remember that i really somehow don't I, 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 would, I would remember that at somehow a grocery I, store. Yeah, somehow I drugged oh. you through text message <laughs> and got you to go to the store. It was at Edwards Place in Little Rock, and um, remember Uh-oh. I took I took a, remember that grocery yeah, store though. Yeah, yeah I took a uh, picture of him, and like this was in a Wes Anderson movie, it was a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Um, it was Punch Drunk Love, if you guys have ever seen it, and it's a very very wide shot, right? And all you can see is like you can't see the floor. And it's a movie with Adam Sandler, and he's wearing like a blue tux. And you, um, <clears throat> and you can't see the floor or anything. All you can see is like this wide row of um, those fridges, like you see at grocery stores, as well as uh, the lights above. And it's a really cool shot, really cool use of the camera, and it, essentially like ultra widescreen. And that that's one thing about Wes Anderson that I also like, and we've talked about this on the podcast, Jake, is like if I could make every shot of a movie a wide shot i would do it 14 millimeters my best friend you know love it and so like that's that's my version of like good cinematography was everything's wide you can see everything um and uh, like yeah i want to make a movie like that i do too we should do that just to make them just see if we can do it you should try all genres with that we could do anything to put our minds all genres in wide shot Yes. Well, that's the thing, and that's one of the reasons... I want to see the action sequences without the constant cuts. Well, I think John Wick series, that, does, that series does a pretty good job of showing the action, unlike perhaps the, the Dark Knight trilogy, which you, you can't tell what's happening <laughs> in the fights for the most part. I think you've hit on something interesting, Zach, because one of the reasons I wanted to talk about how cameras are used is because different genres use cameras differently like justin you just mentioned wes anderson has this very painterly technique where it's lockdown shots zooms pans but the camera itself is generally at one point and he also generally allows action to happen on on camera you right. know a lot of his shots are when someone is speaking it cuts it's usually one shot directly to them but directly in the center and when yeah. someone else speaks it cuts mm-hmm. directly back there's no over the shoulder there's no cutting back and forth mm-hmm. to get the reactions it's no. generally a person says their piece, this other person responds, yeah, and each person gets the entirety of the uh, frame dedicated to them. Whereas if we talk yeah. about an action movie like Batman or you know TV series like Twenty Four, Jack Bauer, um, 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 um yeah, yeah that's true. Like, Matt, I've never huh? thought of, I've never thought a bunch about of horror that. movies. Yeah. yeah, horror movies. They each have these different. Mm-hmm. Uh, stylistic. Uh, what am I trying to say? It's like stylistic 
um, patterns that cinematographers use. Right. Action films, you can expect a lot of quick cuts, a lot of action. Or in the case of like John Wick, some of them are now pairing that back and they're doing long takes or wide shots specifically so you can see the actors. Usually when they actually have the actors doing the stunts, they get that full they get that full frame. I found a lot of uh action movies when they use doubles or you know, it's maybe an aging actor um, like Bruce Willis or Samuel Jackson or someone like that. They'll use a stunt double or something like that. And they'll generally do a lot of quick cuts because they don't give the viewers time to see who's actually doing what information. And then they just kind of bombard them with all these shots. Whereas, you know, something like John Wick, who trained extensively to do these stunts himself, they did these long takes, wide shots where everyone was in the scene and everyone's in action you can and you can actually tell and that is a tool that cinematographers use in relation to what they have available to them like can Samuel L Jackson do this stunt you know if not let's get the double but yeah. also as a tool to stylistically tell the story that they want to make and what do you th- think about the these different styles of cinematography and i guess the you feel a different emotion, perhaps, uh, as a as a viewer. I guess depending on what's happening on screen. For, like, for example, I don't know, like watching, like I like to use the John Wick because I love those movies. I mean, if you were to see an action sequence uh, in the quick cut style that we see a lot in typical action movies or what we see on uh, television, I, I feel like it would give me a different. Um, reaction. I don't know. I think I would still enjoy it, but there's something else completely enjoyable about seeing everything play out on screen and seeing each henchman as they get punched or stabbed or shot and just watching what they're doing after they're taken down. Whereas in the quick cut style, you just see someone getting shot or the punch and it is it it's harder to grasp Uh, it's it's more chaotic i feel like it's more i guess tolerable to understand the whole bigger picture if you just see everything that's happening Mm -hmm. and i think it depends if if there's taking bird's eye views versus you know nice panning shots i think the john wick franchise i don't know who the cinematographer is but whoever it is they have a excellent style and in the uh, nobody movie, uh, I, I think that the guy that plays uh, Saul, uh, Bob, he, Bob Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk, yep. he, that movie does an excellent job too with the the sequences, especially the one on the when he gets on the bus and mm-hmm. uh, encounters those young dudes. I've never seen. Yeah, it. yeah it, it's it's pretty good. It's funny. Yeah. It's a little bit more uh, tongue-in-cheek than the John Wick series, but I can see that s- series merging one day with uh, John Wick's. Give <laughs> <You're> a crossover. <laughs> yeah. That'd be funny. But what are you guys' um, thoughts on how this, the cinematography and, and how you would movie. react to a scene if it, was, if it was done differently and how you feel as a viewer? So what comes to mind for me when you mention that are horror movies, um, so like The Conjuring and stuff, where – uh we get right before a scare you know it's not necessarily we're not we're not doing like a wide shot or even a medium wide shot you know we're most likely close up so that we can't see what's coming 
So that helps build that suspense inside you. You know, I think of also video games like the original Resident Evil, where it wasn't you didn't follow necessarily behind the person or you did, but you didn't like if you turned a corner, then you had to to wait to see what was coming up. It wasn't just instant. And so you could turn the corner and not see what's coming up until you've turned that corner. And then all of a sudden there's a zombie there and you have to kill it. You know, you think that style becomes a bit too formulaic and predictable at times. You know, the, oh, the, well, the scared person in the room, let's pay, let's pan over, let's pan back. Oh, I'm waiting for the, the jump scare for whatever to pop out. It's like, I, I get tired of, you know, those predictable yeah. scenes, but if they're done in a different way, if I've already enjoyed the story, then I, I'm a little bit more for, uh, forgiving. But in general, I've noticed not even just with horror films, but with other genres, Mm-hmm. There's predictable uh, leading up to um, react reaction um, type sequences yeah. that it just, okay, I've seen that before, but how is it done differently? Yeah, I think that some people have started doing the thing where they build up this suspense. Not, you know, it doesn't happen all the time. A lot of times it's, it's like you said, pretty formulaic, but like they'll, they'll build up the suspense, build up the suspense, and then something happens but it's not like you know something bad jumps out at them it's like it's a red herring know. yeah exactly exactly oh, a red herring it's they, the little girl running it's the little girl running across the room yeah it's just your sister I, yeah exactly <laughs> I exactly stuff yeah. like that yeah that that's, and that's so, one of my favorite i'm sorry justin go ahead that's okay so yeah so you're you're having all this suspense being built 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 and then when someone bursts through the the living room door and it's your it's your like you said your little sister running through and you're just like oh my god you know you just put me through this so now you're a little more invested i think because it's like okay well you know if this is how they're going to play it then i'll play the game you know what i mean mm-hmm. so well, somewhat unpredictable at that point yeah yeah i it, love i'm done go ahead okay <laughs> i was like i don't want to interrupt him <laughs> yes i'm done but Zach, you you ask, you know, how we feel. I love stuff like that. I love when cinematographers kind of use that bait and switch, or they give an un- unusual um, or the unexpected frame for what should be going on. There's this one scene in Sicario where the protagonist and the, anta- and the antagonist are essentially having an argument um, outside of a uh, kind of like a detainment center. And instead of having the traditional um, back and forth shot over the shoulder shot, it's just this one long, wide, locked off shot. And they're way off in the distance. And you just see these two figures essentially just two, almost like two little specks, just having this animated argument. You can hear their voices, obviously, but they're, they're just these figures out kind of in the distance Mm -hmm. and the camera is not with them. The camera is kind of this vast emptiness space of like the desert where they're at. And it's not something you would traditionally expect for a scene like that, but it was used to kind of express the, you know, the futility of what the characters were going through at the time. It was just a way of visually showing the, the emptiness of the actions happening on screen like they weren't really important the world around them was more important yeah and they just happened to be inhabit- inhabiting it at the time stuff like that's really cool to me mm-hmm. it's awesome 
I think Hereditary. Have you seen? Uh, you guys seen that movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that movie utilized a lot of long held shots. Like you're looking at a decapitated person, and you're just mm-hmm. staring at the the head for yeah. a good ten plus seconds, or worms coming out of some body. And well, then you see it again, don't you? The head. You see it like the next day, and yeah. it's like started to rot. Yeah. But that was crazy. Very, it made you uneasy. It, you're just, the audience is just forced to yeah. have this in-your-face <laughs> look of some disgusting thing on screen, what? some strange ambient music in the background. It kind of reminds me of um, the movie The Other Guys. Have you all seen that? With, That's with uh, Will Ferrell, right? Will Ferrell and, and Mark Wahlberg. But at the beginning, yeah. we have these two, like, you know... Um, what are you going to daredevil cops, you know, play with a rocket Samuel Jackson. And then they, they, um, do the thing where they're like, they're on a building. They're like aim for the bushes and they jump. And it's like one of those <laughs> things where you, you're like, wait, where are they? Where are they going to like, they're, they're not going to die. And then they die. And that's kind of how I felt with hereditary <laughs> with her. She stuck her head out the window, I think. And then boom, head's gone. Like, I was like, holy, sh-, you know, like I was, <laughs> I did not expect that to happen. And that's not necessarily, I know we're not really talking about that, but like, um, you, you made me think of that with, with the other guys when they jump off and it's like this great, motivating, inspiring music. And then boom, they're dead. But that's the way, but that's the way that the cinematographers were kind of leading you on. They were kind of leading you down this one expectation mm-hmm. with them, with the music. Yes. But also just like the build up to it. And then they deliver something unexpected at the end. I love yes. that. Like in The Last Jedi, when you expect Luke to be so welcoming and he throws the lightsaber <laughs> over his shoulder in a comedic fashion. I can't. It goes I downhill just, from there. <laughs> I tried watching it again, and I couldn't make it past that. He threw it over his shoulder, and I was like, I can't do it. Remember The Force Awakens with that beautiful helicopter, I assume, shot going around the island is... Ray sees Walks up there. Mm-hmm. grumpy old Luke yeah. and he grimaces. And that's, that's, that's a, le- it's a big lead up. Different directors, but two it's different a huge lead up. It's a huge right. lead it's up. It's a huge lead up. And it, it, it just results in this nice shot of Luke throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder. But there's also, there's also use of camera movement as well. We talked about like leaving the camera in one place, but they also use movement in a lot of things. You know, we've talked about cuts. We've talked about standing still, but like there's this one film that I really enjoy called Upgrade. Yes. Um, and they do, you know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Um, and I'm not going to spoil it, but essentially a paralyzed man gets implanted with a computer chip that allows him to move. And because as the movie goes longer, he becomes more ingrained with this computer chip, the way that he moves and ultimately fights because it's an action movie starts to change. And one of the ways that they represent that is they actually have um, the camera roll and tilt with the man's actions lined like perfectly. So if he did like a backflip, the camera would would do a 360 as well, perfectly in a line with his body. I actually found a forum post from Andrew A.J. Johnson, he was um, the Steadicam operator for the film Upgrade, and he talks about how they got some of those shots um, made. And essentially what they do, uh, or what they did, is they had the camera on his study, his uh, his rig, and they used an, an application on the phone that 
follows the gyroscope of the phone. And so the phone could control the rotation of the camera that is suspended in his study rig. And so what they would do is they would take the phone, strap it to the actor's chest or his waist or his body part that they wanted to replicate the movement. And then when the actor did his jumps and his flips and his, you know, everything, it would send that signal to automatically roll and tilt the camera. So it stayed perfectly in line with what the action was doing. And that was a, a beautiful, just an incredible way yeah. to show the audience how this man was being assisted by this computer chip. Because again, this man's paralyzed. He can't move. And so he's kind of experiencing all this movement as a passenger alongside the audience. And so by utilizing that kind of crazy movement with a camera that is lined with his body, it really represents how he was feeling on the inside, just being along for the ride as essentially the computer was fighting for him. It's really, really cool. It makes you much more immersed. Absolutely. It's a good movie. You should see it. And there's other ways that they can... There's other ways that that filmmakers can make distinctions using camera movement. For instance, in WandaVision, um, I, I, I love the behind the scenes for WandaVision. There is, if you have Disney Plus, they have a, um, a show specifically for the behind the scenes on how they produce WandaVision. And it's just so cool. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that they did is in the early episodes, which is set in the 1940s, because if you don't understand WandaVision, essentially Wanda has created this world for herself and each episode is in a different decade. It's like in it and it's kind of replicates sitcoms from those different decades. And the early ones were from like the 1940s. And A, they shot those episodes entirely um, using period accurate pieces of equipment. So they got the equipment from the 1940s, they got the lights from the 1940s. They filmed in front of an audience, like a 1940s TV show. Mm -hmm. They literally replicated an entire set for that. But what they did for one particular character who was the villain, they did not use the period accurate equipment. Instead of having a lockdown shot, which is what you would consider for the three camera sitcom, they used a um it's totally they totally lost it they used a boom arm they used a a crane Mm -hmm. specifically for this camera whenever she was on because it separated this one person this one character as being outside the narrative whereas everyone else was in these locked off three by ones existing in the universe this one character got an entirely modern movement of camera and it just subtly recognized or subtly showed that she was not part of the universe that was being controlled. And that's not something that pays off until way further down in the series. I noticed in that series when things went sideways, so to speak, it would deviate from the traditional trying to get the norm of whatever the cinematography was for that time yeah and they would just oh it's back to normal shots close up suddenly uh i mean but it was done appropriately like when things were uh i guess going 
sideways, as I said. What other films or movies have you guys seen where the camera work or the lack of cam work really stood out to you guys and, and made you realize it? I, th- I know, Justin, you said you, you know, you often think about the script. I'm a very visual person. Yeah. So I often think I, about the frame. Well, a movie that comes to mind with really cool camera work is a movie called Hardcore Henry, if you have ever seen it. Oh, my and, God. And it's basically an action an action movie, but it's all in first person, right? It's so cool. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And like I am um, for my class when we were talking about first person when I was teaching high school, I showed a scene from that. And like if you watch it, I mean, you can get kind of sick mm-hmm. in, in some parts. But then there's parts that are cool because he's like killing people all the, like all around him and stuff and, and like just stabbing them and shooting them. And it's just like watching someone play Call of Duty. You know, like if you get on Twitch and watch someone play Call of Duty, that's all it is. It's just you see the hands, the guns and, you know, uh, reloading and loading and all this stuff. And it's a really cool way um, because you don't see that very often. I mean, you might see first person, you know, pieces or parts in movies, but Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily you don't ever see a whole movie. done. Certainly not action. Usually it's just like someone slinking behind bushes yeah exactly. around the corner right yeah. it's like a stalker very very like far off steady camish kind of like that breathing like bob yeah that you see if someone's just like slinking around yeah no that's insane and the way that they shot that was incredible too because they actually um i, don't, I think it was shot on gopro do you know that's true justin no but i don't i i would assume that at least parts of it is shot on gopro i bet they I, had to they did something special for I looked at the behind the scenes when it came out and I think they shot the majority of it on GoPro and it was really cool because they actually had the guy wear a helmet and and it was kind of a process because where his hands normally would be you wouldn't see them so he had to figure out this way Mm. to put his hands up and see the hands and Mm. kind of do these acting and cinematography at the same time yeah it was it was a it was a really neat movie if you've never seen it. Um, I mean, if you like those John Wick movies, Zach, you might like Hardcore Henry. Just yeah, I because, remember seeing the previews when it came out. What? Yeah, it was like five years ago at least. Oh yeah, it's been a while uh, since I, I went and saw it in theaters. Me and my friend did, and um, it was cool to watch in theaters. I just googled it. Thirteen people wore custom GoPro rig for the action. Yeah, that's cool. They had a team of people well, with probably a custom had... GoPro rig. Yeah, Henry mm-hmm. probably wasn't played by one person. That's cool. That yeah, that's that's the movie that came to mind with some special, you know, something you don't see every single movie. Like, like I said, like even in like the movie Doom with The Rock, there's a first person sequence, right? But the whole movie's not in first person because the game's in first person. So they're like little nods. And yeah, yeah. They did, exactly. that, they did that with the Halo show as well, at least in the oh yeah one episode. In the first I episode, yeah, yeah. They did yeah. do that with the the helmet because that's what you see in the game. So they made it look like the game. It, that was really like, cool. Uh, I feel like you know, Iron Man might have had some little bits, or is it usually just see him, his face no, in the Yeah, suit? I don't remember. Yeah, well, you know what? There was some um, kind of first person whenever I'm, I vaguely remember him like falling, and you could see inside the helmet out through the eye holes. You know yeah. what I mean? When he's, when when he's he, falling. When his suit gets iced over. Yeah. And so that, yeah, I forgot about that. That's pretty cool. Um, because you don't see much because the eyes are like this big, you know? And so, 
you only concede barely anything, but still, it was kind of a neat, um, neat piece of you know cinematography in a Marvel movie because like a lot of Marvel movies are pretty standard when it comes to most Marvel movies are pretty standard when it comes to cinematography. So. <laughs> The big World War II historian buff, and I've read a couple books about the Holocaust, but there's this one movie from, I believe it's 2015, called Son of Saul, and it really stuck with me for just the emotional impact. It's about uh, the concentration camp established in Auschwitz in Poland, and that's one of the most prominent and known uh, concentration camps where at least a million Jewish people were just slaughtered by the, the Nazis. But cinematography-wise, it, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's a close-up shot throughout most of the movie of the protagonist who's working as a worker uh, for the, the Germans and doing hard labor. And you, it's just a constant immersive experience and that you feel claustrophobic at times as you're following this particular prisoner around and there's a shallow focus and you don't you hear shooting and you, you see people in the distance but you don't get a full look um, at what's happening uh, you might just hear so it makes it a little bit uneasy as a as a viewer as you're uh, only seeing essentially what's in the frame which is usually the this guy's face and seeing his reaction to everything that's happening around him i don't want to spoil much but i mean there's this you got to see it to understand but that's the first movie i've seen where majority of the film is this particular claustrophobic shot of the protagonist and the people that he's interacting with and for a, a movie like this, it makes it even more horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not like some horror movie, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's like real stuff. Yeah, I'm going to read a little expert from this NPR article I found. Uh, let's see. The camera stays tight on this man who's ushering people silently. A red X painted on the back of his jacket marks him as a Sonder Commando, a prisoner who's being forced to work with the guards. Uh, what's another bit is interesting. The director's technique is to shoot almost the entire film in severe close-up on his leading man, which has the effect of putting you next to him. And also because the director uses very shallow focus has the effect of making the atrocities around him blurry and indistinct, which sounds as if it would make the film easier to watch, but actually makes it all the more horrific because you can't focus on what you're hearing. So the kind of mm, that's cool. the unknown of what's happening visually, but you could hear what's going on. So I like when cinematography just balances and perfectly just melds together with other aspects of films, such as the music or the, the, the overall sound of the ambience. Um, so this film, I think is a, it's a good, I would recommend it for like a class even um, for people just for the particular way it was shot. What's this movie called? It's called Son of Saul. It's a Hungarian film. You probably have to find it in like YouTube and rent it or something. I haven't seen Son of Saul, but a similar technique is used quite often in The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. They use a lot of really close-up shots with shallow depth of field on the maids' faces as well for for a similar reason for what you talk about. It really 
makes you connect with the character on screen and the emotions that they are fighting through as all this horrible stuff goes around them. That's just a fantastic example, Zach. And like, how are they doing this? Like the cinematographers, uh, are they, how, what kind of lenses are they using? Are they close up in, in their faces? How does that work? Yeah. So they'll often get, um, they'll often get the camera close and use a fast lens. So in other words, um, a lens that has a very wide aperture, it's a very, the, the camera is wide open. It lets lots of light in. And what that does is it creates a very small sliver of what is actually in focus. And because they're so close, that sliver becomes very, very tight with not much wiggle room. And so it really takes a, de- a dedicated um, cam ob and a focus puller to get that correctly. Because if you don't get that correctly, it can ruin and ruin an entire film a good example of in my opinion a film being ruined by that technique is um oh zack snyder's zombie film what is that called Zombieland, army of the right? dead Z- oh. army of the dead army of the dead correct i i hated that film because i felt like they could never get their subjects in focus he shot with i think it was like a point i forget what lens it was but it was like 0.8 or 0.9 and and Snyder, I mean, to his credit, he he did something new. He tried to expand his horizons, but he acted as the director of photography as well as the director. And I just think it shows um, because he didn't get a experienced cam op for this, and he missed a lot of focus. And I and yeah. you know, again, this is his first time doing this. He's an <laughs> incredible director. I'm not knocking him as a as a guy but in this particular instance it kind of ruined the film for me because i felt like i could never get a focus on what was actually on screen yeah i did notice that a little bit i think because i watched it with a friend of mine and and we noticed that some things were out of focus and it was really weird because you don't expect big budget movies like that to be out of focus yeah, yeah, I didn't. I totally forgot about that until you brought it up. That's interesting because I didn't know that he was serving as his own DP. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably the issue there is, especially if he's never done it before, like not never done it on like a film like this. That's crazy. I like didn't I said, know that. It's, I love that he tried. Like I, yeah. I love who knows to him tried to do it. It's just like, especially in a in a a story like that being so big budget, like I. Yeah, you know, this obviously was a, a passion project for him. What does that yeah. mean as director of photography? Is he actually operating the camera or is it, mm-hmm. he's just providing guidance on what he wants? Probably a little it bit depends. of both, I would say. It depends on on how big of a production you're on. Oftentimes, they're, if it's a smaller production, they're often the lead photographer or the lead cam op as well. If they're on a, a large budget, they're in charge of a team and they have the final say on whether or not a frame looks good. You'd think or, the team would recognize these out-of-focus shots, and I don't know. Apparently not. It's. I mean, all, all in all, it's Zack Snyder's say. If he thinks it's not out-of-focus and he wants to use it, he can keep it, True. you know? Yep. Um, and he probably didn't – I mean, I, I guess he didn't notice, and whoever – there was no quality control, and he might have – I don't know if he edited the movie himself, but – um, I don't know. That's yeah. I I did notice that in the movie, and I thought it was really weird because it's like if you're gonna try this, 
on a uh, before you try it on a big budget movie, why don't you make a couple short films, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then whenever you have the art down, then go ahead and try it, you know, in a movie. He wants to experiment with the big movies, I guess. Um, I feel like there wasn't much oversight in that film at all because there was also like dead pixels throughout. Yeah. Which also, also got under my skin. Yeah. Like you can just, you can, you can fix that. You can literally fix that in post. You can, you can do that. It's, it'd be annoying, but if you're making a budget, or if you're making a movie at this budget, like take the time to do that. Isn't that the movie where they CGI someone in? Mm-hmm. See, that's the thing. That was incredible. What was the yeah, story man. behind that? What, what looked, happened? That there? looked really great. That was fantastic. On the one hand, you have this amazing, amazing green screen work, amazing effects work. They completely removed an entire actor, completely replaced them with another person, made it look completely believable. And then you've got shots like 90% of the film is out of focus. <laughs> I don't know what the issue, why they replaced that actress, but or actor. He uh, was involved. He was involved with some. Uh, let's just say he was, he was not a good person. Gotcha. So they replaced him. He, he was involved with some stuff. With, so they're gonna uh, they're gonna replace Ezra Miller by March. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they could. Apparently, we had the technology, you know, if they can do it on Army of the Dead where they make it look almost seamless. Like, you they, replace, they just replace him with Grant Gustin. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's, a, there's people that want him to be the movie. I fan. think I've seen the like first three or four seasons of, of the TV show. I thought he was great. Yeah, he is a good actor. Um, I wouldn't mind it either, but I don't think that's going to happen. Well, you know, the Flash is ending. Maybe it will happen. We don't know. And you know, with WB and Discovery re- overhauling everything, I could see that happening. So, but the only issue I think with that, and I know we're not talking about this, is that we've introduced the movie Flash to the TV Flash. So Ezra Miller's been on an episode of the Flash, and so yeah, but it was like we'd have seconds. To, yeah, it wasn't very long. It was cool though. Probably getting rid of rid of An- Amber Heard and having more Batman scenes for Aquaman. That'd be cool. I'm okay yeah. with that. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. So we're just talking about movies that have been ruined by bad cinematography. Have you guys, do you guys remember any films or you're just like, ugh? I mean, the only thing that comes to mind for me is maybe such like found footage stuff, because sometimes even though it's like found footage, you can still control the camera work. So I, I get we want it to look authentic, but when you got someone running with a camera and you s- see the ground and it's like going up and down and looking at the sky and looking at the ground, all of a sudden it's like, it's like, <laughs> come on, you can, you can control it just a little bit. Like we don't, we don't think that this is real. You know, it's like the Blair Witch Project or Paranormal Activity. Like we don't think this is real. So it's okay to, to fudge up the camera just a little bit so we can, so we don't get sick. Does I mean, it take you out of the experience if there's like, water or blood on the the, the lens in the, in no, the show. I think, I think that's really cool. Actually, whenever um, something happens and we get water on the lens, I'm like, it, I mean, yeah, you, I guess it should take you out of the experience, but it doesn't, not for me. Like, I think it's, it's kind of neat um, when I see that. 
it kind of adds to the, I don't know how to explain this, but it kind of, to me, it kind of adds to the realism of the shooting, you know, of the actual filming. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like I see for like a POV shot, like in that movie or you get, we were talking about that was shot entirely, basically POV, uh, the action flick. Was there instances of blood stuff on the screen, blood and all I that? I think, yeah, I believe so. And it kind of, I don't, I don't really, I need to watch this movie again. I, if I remember correctly, there might've been, but it was kind of like a quick thing where it happened and then he wipes it off. I can save in private Ryan in the opening scene, Omaha beach. There's a bit where they're all jumping out of the amphibious assault vehicles because obviously they're getting shot from the beaches by the Germans. And it, you're kind of simulating you're a soldier jumping off the boat and get into the water and trying to get your backpack off so you don't drown. But I feel like that's like a great experience because you're, it's trying to come across as if you're one of the soldiers trying to survive. Yeah. There is a very famous scene in The Pianist, um, 2002 film. Great film. Um, with Adrian Brody. Yeah, Adrian Brody, where essentially he steps out and he's just walking kind of calmly through like this war scene. And blood gets splattered on the lens. Now, the the rumor, the myth, I don't know if this is true or not, but the myth was um, that wasn't intentional. That they were filming the scene with all these explosions going off, and one of the explosions knocked some of the blood on the lens, and the director actually called cut, but because of how much noise was on scene, Adrian didn't hear him and just kept doing his scene. And since he kept doing his scene, the cameraman kept following. And then when they were in Edda Bay, that's what they decided to put in. And that's what made the movie win all the awards was this scene that was. That's what you call a, a happy accident. Yeah. And I, and I don't think obviously that's probably not the first, um, you know, that's not the first example of that happening, but to my understanding, that's kind of what popularized it. And the myth is it all happened on accident. Hmm. I'll have to go back and watch that film. Best things normally do happen on accident. (laughs) (laughs) But you bring up an interesting point, Zach, because that's become more popular in a lot of different types of genres and a lot of different scenarios. And it's to the point where VFX artists are often required to intentionally add things like that into their shot to make it feel more real. So if, if let's say two superheroes are fighting and they're shooting lightning bolts at each other, they'll add in, you know, lens accurate flares. Mm-hmm. So it makes it look like the, the VFX lightning is actually emitting light into this camera as if it was a real thing, things like that, that ground, the the special effects into like the world of the film there's a lot of effort that goes into that and it's just another tool that they they have at their disposal do they use post-edit techniques to create shaking yep oh yeah they sure do a lot of famous movies use that i think one of the most famous is um the born series they have shake came all throughout that that trilogy and i think almost I'm not going to say all of it, but a lot of it was put in post. Mm. And you can tell because I think there's like one scene where Bourne and someone else is like sitting at a table and the camera is just going all over the place. 
They're sitting at a table. And that's one of the things where it's not justified. Camera movement is often supposed to justify or is used to justify what's happening on screen. So if like there's an explosion, the camera will shake a little bit. Exactly. Or if someone's freaking out, then they'll do a slow zoom. It's to like represent what's going on. It's supposed to help tell the story. And when you use the camera in a way that's not justified, people are able to pick that out really easily. Yeah. I I was thinking I had seen that before where that, that artificial shaky cam, but I can't remember where I saw it. Um, But I do um, now that we, I guess we, we're not just now we've been talking about cinematography this whole time, but I just thought of a movie where we basically um, as a movie I taught, and uh we basically talked about the camera work mostly and it was just mostly like first person third person third person omniscient and all that or yeah i think it's what it's called omniscient um and it was really cool movie and like a lot of the camera uh work you know helped with the emotion so like there's a scene the movie's called david and lisa and it's about David who goes to a um, institution because his parents, he, he thinks that if people touch him, then he's going to die. And so his parents take him to an institution, you know, to, so he can be helped with that. And there's a scene and then there's Lisa who has multiple personalities and one of them is like a little girl. And and it was funny because there's a scene where there's an overhead shot and she there's she goes to they go to this museum right it's kind of like a field trip goes museum and there's this this statue of like a i think it's like a mother and a father and a little girl and they're i don't know what they're i think they're like sitting or something and she climbs up there with the statue and kind of like snuggles up to it and you know because she doesn't have a family and you know that's probably why she's doing that and then it does this overhead shot of her doing it and i said well what about this shot like who do you who who would you assume is watching her and the answer i was looking for was us we're the audience we're watching but then someone said god and i said oh i was like oh my god like i didn't even think about that you know and if it hadn't been for that shot like that wouldn't even have, have come up because it wasn't even on my brain that, oh, maybe God's watching her. And it was very interesting. If you guys haven't seen this movie, you should watch it. Um, it's from 19 something. Oh, it's a 70s movie or not 70s movie. It's a black and white movie. Um, but it's a very interesting, interesting movie where you could talk about, you know, the way it was made and the shots that were used a lot, like throughout the whole thing. It was pretty cool. And then another, um, of course cinematography we can't not talk about citizen kane right you know because because the the movie the the story itself is pretty bland you know it's about the rise and fall of a newspaper man great but what made it a classic and we've talked about this movie before i believe um or maybe we haven't what made it a classic was the way it was filmed yeah and the things he did the things that uh uh, Orson Welles did to create such shots like a, a like an audience you know like he has a speech where he's in front of this big audience but it's a matte painting with holes poked in it and lights coming through to make it look like their heads are moving so it's pretty revolutionary the way he the way he did things and like there's shots where it's just somebody's feet you know mm-hmm. they're talking having this whole conversation and we're just looking at these guys feet um and he was real big on the um like the deep photography so 
deep like, focus. Yeah, deep focus photography. And so you could see everything in the background from the person, you know, who's in focus all the way to like an office door all the way in the back of the room. And those rooms, like, it's like a newsroom, you know, it's like if I, if I, if we were standing in the Channel 7 newsroom and I wanted to do a shot of you doing a stand up, but I wanted to see everything in the background, you know, and we can see the, the back wall, even like an edit bay, maybe inside of an edit bay, you know, and you guys know, like, it's pretty far back from, let's say, like, where my, my desk was before I moved, Jake, um, so from where my desk was all the way back, it's kind of what Orson Welles did. Yeah, I might be able to see Barry in his. <laughs> yeah, <there>. exactly. <laughs> I, think, I exactly. think he was in the in the one in the middle. Yeah, he was. Little, yeah. He was, and if he had the door open, we could probably see him. And, and like, and so that was the cool thing about like, like when I first watched that movie, and and we'll talk about this again because I don't, I think um, Citizen Kane came out in the '40s, so we'll talk about it. Yeah, that'll be coming up. Yeah. Great, great movie. I just remember the, the close-up shots that I was like, wow, in a black and white 40s yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, because you didn't really see that. I mean, like, Birth of a Nation kind of kind of brought the close-up to the forefront where, um, you know, because it's a three-hour silent film and, and like, close-ups weren't really a thing then. Um, we'll talk about it more when it comes up um, in the next episode, but, like, Birth of a Nation kind of brought, the foref- like, to the forefront the close-up and different types of um of shooting because a lot of silent films were mostly like you know medium wide wide shots they weren't there wasn't a lot of close-ups um but then you know yeah citizen kane he yeah, orson wells um was pretty innovative with that movie it's pretty cool like uh, um oh yeah i know what i was gonna say um when i first watched the movie i was like what's so special about this movie like the movie was boring but then I taught it and I did more research on it. And I was like, oh, that's why this movie's so good. Cause like when it first came out, like it was okay, but it it wasn't like a box office hit or anything. It wasn't until like the sixties that people started noticing the things about Citizen Kane with the cinematography and, and the things he was able to do. It was pretty cool. You know, I think we've touched on it before, and that might be wrong. We might have to cut this out. I think he was able to do some of the shots he did because he was able to use new film that had a higher ISO. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. And so he was able to stop down his iris and get that deep focus, but still get the light he needed thanks to that new film or the film that he utilized at the time. Because I think normally they shot with, I think it was like the, 100 or 150 or something like that and i think he used like 200 or 400 yeah but things you know the way the camera is used can make or break storytelling i just love when they're able to use the camera as as a piece of information telling sometimes you watch a film and it's a good film but it's definitely not the camera camera work that carries the weight. And then there are some films where they treat the camera like an actor. They they put it in the sequence Maybe. and they use the blocking and the movement of the camera in tandem with everything else. And when when cinematographers do that, it just creates a more cohesive image. In my opinion, again, I'm kind of one of those visually engaged people so 
if camera work is not engaging to me, I'm more likely to to zone out if than than if it is. Um, yeah, I get that. Do you guys have any final thoughts on kind of like how camera work is used? You know, um, I've made movies where the camera sucks because I'm doing it um, or, you know, somebody who doesn't know. Luckily, on my thesis, I had a pretty good cinematographer. He was he was okay. Uh, he is better than nothing, I guess. He was all right. <laughs> he could have been better. Jake Jake was my DP on that on my thesis film and like yeah and i was just thinking about it and you know on the of course i only had you i had you two days and i had somebody else and i looked out having two people who were really good at their craft unfortunately the the second guy you you got the colors right the second guy didn't hate on saturday so i had to artificially create you know that color to match the rest of the movie because i wanted kind of like some yellows and stuff oranges and stuff like that um So yeah, and I was just thinking about it, and I was like, yeah, I got pretty lucky with with my my cinematographers, my DPs for that movie because I mean, it looks, I think it looks great, like every bit of it looks great. Not to toot my own horn or to, you know, because <laughs> I guess I wouldn't be tooting my own horn because I did it, but I did, I did create this, you know, decide on what shots to do, and I just got lucky that I had somebody that could execute those shots the way I wanted it and the way, and then it come out looking you know, really good. Directors get a lot of credit for the way the movie comes out and they should ultimately, they are the ones that are in charge of directing the actors and making the story flow the way it's supposed to, but not a lot of credit is given to the director of photography and the cam ops. A lot of times there are amazing ones out there that get a lot of credit, you know, but usually when someone talks about how amazing a film looks, they refer to the director or the producers and the people mm-hmm. who kind of, especially like the DPs or the cam ops who are in charge of making those actually look good, kind well, of get left in the dust sometimes. That's because directors are better than DPs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, Zach, what about you? Any final thoughts? Yeah, just like the one shot takes. <laughs> that often sometimes maybe not it's not common i would say but i'd say the revenant and birdman oh, among the you mean the, that, oh the long take yeah yeah, the yeah. long takes birdman like 1917 birdman does it well yeah birdman does it really well i thought birdman did a great job with the long take i thought Who does it 1917 is also a good example I guess I've never seen that's it. another that's another great example of using the camera as a character because sometimes you watch the the characters and the characters see something before the camera does and then sometimes you're watching it and the camera sees something before the characters do mm-hmm. and it's this great interplay between well I like you know, the-, the viewer and and the people yeah I, I think that that is meant for us you know we're the other character you know if we see something that that the character doesn't see the character in the movie doesn't see you know it's meant for it's clearly meant for us right you know because that's what the camera's for so we can see what's going on but then there's times where we can see stuff that they can't you know and it's so you know we have this bit of information that they don't have yeah. Um, so that's kind of goes that hand in hand with the camera being a character. It's because we're, I've, I feel like the audience would be that character filling that spot. 
Yeah, and, and luckily the movie was the story was interesting enough to where I wasn't like bored and wondering what was going on elsewhere in the the world. Because mm-hmm. I feel like if you tried that long take into the entire movie strategy, then in other films, if you don't have the story there and the visuals, then I think you're going to lose. You're going to have people walking out of the theater, perhaps, or getting up the couch and doing something else you with know, their lives. You know, I own that movie, and I should probably watch it. You should. It's a good 19, movie. 1917. That's what we're talking about, I think, right? Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah, I have that movie. Um, I need to watch it. I just haven't. I know it's like, it's one of those movies that you kind of have to sit down and, and like, kind of pay attention to i think um kind it's of like one of experience movie films yeah right. it's a it's, it's an right. experience exactly and i want to i want to indulge in that experience i don't want to be on my phone and so like i should have went and just seen in theaters like a smart person because i don't get on my phone when i'm in theaters like that that going to the movie yeah, theaters is an experience for me yeah there's one scene i forgot specifically but you're hearing someone getting stabbed and yelling but the camera doesn't immediately show it and then it it pans over or walks over essentially you see the guy getting stabbed cool i mean not cool but cool <laughs> but overall you know i'm a, a big sound guy so i think that's one of the the first things that i listen for but well, i think that's the first thing we all listen for <laughs> is sound but uh <laughs> yeah absolutely but i think sound and cinematography if I could, they're just vital to the viewing experience. Yeah, um, I I think sound. If I, design, if I obviously if, if you had to have one or the other, I, I'd rather have the visuals, I guess. But oh yeah, be, I mean it's it's a visual medium ultimately. <laughs> but uh, well, I don't know. know. I think a, you can save a bad film with audio, but yeah. music. Yeah, Lord of the uh, Rings, perhaps. Sound design <laughs> is is super important. Like if if you have crappy sound design, you may as well just you know pull the movie from theaters and redo it all right let's wrap this up guys thank you so much for listening to our little podcast you're welcome if you have something you want to tell us we're on facebook instagram twitter youtube only fans coming soon <laughs> and uh let us know what you think have you seen some just really interesting camera work that popped out or have you seen an example of camera work ruining a film we want to know let us know jake wants to know I don't, you, don't, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Have a fantastic day.